SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, Sunbelt Nation, welcome back to another edition of the Underdog Dynasty Sunbelt Podcast. I am hosting this episode today. I'm Matt Miguez, and we're going to switch it up a little bit this week. Uh, Brian is usually the host, but considering he is the Georgia Southern beat writer for Underdog Dynasty, we decided to switch it up this week. And you can tell by my last statement that we are covering the Georgia Southern Eagles today. Brian, tell everybody hello. How's it going, everybody? It's it's interesting being on the other other side of the uh, the desk here and and being a co-host for this one. But I'm excited to talk about my Eagles. Yeah, you know they had a they had a solid year last year, going seven and six, and ha- having a close battle in the Cure Bowl with Liberty. But you know, I'm I'm looking here at some information on Georgia Southern and. You know, before we get into the schedule, I kind of want to start with Shy Wirtz. Strictly because I'm going to read this stat line and I'm mind blown by it. He's the only quarterback in the FBS last season to not throw an interception. Yeah, so that was really a point of pride. Uh, actually, I think what you're reading is from 2018. Last year, he threw his first interception in two seasons. Uh but that was really uh, one of the points of pride for us uh, last year in 2018 uh, was that he was, you know, I think he was at that point the only quarterback not to throw an interception all season. But, uh, you know, considering the style of play and the way that we kind of run our offense, it's not shocking considering, you know, the low volume of pass attempts he gets in a season. Yeah, you know, obviously Georgia Southern is more of a uh... – more of a running offense. You know, we look at the we look at the schedule from last year. You guys opened with LSU in Baton Rouge. And I mean, I, I don't wanna be the Debbie Downer here, but Brian, nobody expected you guys to win that game. So I think it's an interesting stat as well that the last two seasons we've opened the season with the team that went on to win the national championship. Um in 2018 mm-hmm. we opened with the Clemson Tigers. Uh, and and actually played them pretty close before Trevor Lawrence took over. I think Kelly Bryant was still the starter at that point. But yeah, like I mean, last year LSU was an absolute buzzsaw. So when you look at where they ended last year, it's not shocking by any stretch of the imagination that that game wasn't close at all. Yeah, no. Um, LSU going on to be what many are calling the best team in college football history. You picked up the first win of the season last year at home against Maine. 26 to 18. Brian, you know, get, getting a win like that to to even out your your record early on, what does that do for for a program as you move into you get ready to move into conference play? Well, you, you know, to be quite honest, because Maine is an FCS school, uh it was a little closer than I would have preferred obviously with with only being an 8-point win, but you know, anytime you kind of start the season off with a win, you can't really complain about it that much. But uh, again, you know, they are an FCS school, so it was it was a little bit of a nail biter for sure, because, you know, if they go on to lose that game to Maine at home in the season opener, you know, who knows what kind of record they have last year. Right. And like you said, you know, they are an FCS school, but regardless, you know, FCS or FBS, it's one and one. And you go to Minneapolis to play Minnesota. 
And I was actually kind of surprised by this game. That that game had me on the edge of my seat for basically all four quarters because you guys nearly stole one from the Gophers. Can I, I'm going to give you my first hot take of the episode. Go for it. I actually thought that was the best they played all season, including the win over app at night on Halloween. The the loss to Minnesota was the best they played all year. Looking back on it, because Minnesota really has, has kind of taken another step and gone to a different level under PJ Fleck. Um, You know, I don't know if we've, if we signed some sort of blood pact with PJ Fleck, but we played him twice when he was coaching Western Michigan. You know, they had players like Corey Davis there who were really popping off at the time. And we went one and one with them, but then we scheduled Minnesota last year as well. Again, going to Minneapolis against the team that finished the way that Minnesota did last year. I honestly think that from top to bottom, it was the best they played all season. It was just one of those. We were up by what was it? Four points or something along those lines. Uh, and Minnesota scores a touchdown as like time expires. And that's pretty much the end of that game. But yeah, I was really impressed. With, with 13 seconds left to, I, mean, uh, I was, I was really impressed with the way that they, that they played in that game, not knowing at that point, how good Minnesota was actually going to end up being. Yeah, no, no question about it. Then you, the Eagles opened up conference play against my Louisiana raging Cajuns. And sorry, Brian, that we had to we had to hand y'all a, a conference loss, thirty-seven to twenty-four. But man, you know, I I thought that throughout that game, you guys were poised to have a big year. You know, I I think that this game uh, against you guys really started to show some of what those warts were, um, as far as what we're what the issues that we're going to end up haunting Georgia Southern throughout last season and and we can really dive into those kind of as we go but um you know i i expected this game to be a lot closer than it was i mean i didn't expect to lose by almost two touchdowns to you guys uh but you know credit where credit is due you guys have your offense is a well-oiled machine but when you when you get into the next two games is kind of what i want to talk about just really fast at South Alabama versus Coastal Carolina at home, both of those games, multiple overtime contests, both played in terrible weather. Both are, again, closer than they should have been. And that was kind of the 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 sticking point with Georgia Southern last year was they did not really close good teams out except for App. Uh, every other game was up in the air and you just had no idea what they were going to give you as a football team. Yeah, and you know, you you mentioned the the South Island Coastal game both being multiple overtimes. That started a four game winning streak for you guys. South Island Coastal, New Mexico State, and then against number twenty, App. But then you guys had a slip up in Troy. Uh, walk us through, you know, what kind of happened in in that loss to the Trojans. Yeah, so uh, uh, going through the schedule, we obviously, you know, we've touched on this a number of times with this and our App State. Uh, season preview but we beat app uh, on halloween so that was that was always that was a big thing for us having going to boone playing a ranked app state team uh beating them winning in the first time uh in boone since 2007 which was a big accomplishment for us the issue and we can uh, again this is something we can really dig into when i start going into you know the season preview for this year 
this team the last two seasons has after they've beaten app has almost forgotten that there's football still to be played after that game and that's been my really big sticking point you know last year one of the things that I highlighted when I was doing my previews and things like that for the Troy game was I really hope this team doesn't overlook Troy the way it did ULM the year prior after they beat app and people were talking about it all week long. Even our head coach, Chad Lunsford got asked about it in a press conference and he kind of scoffed at it and was like, uh, we'll, we'll be ready this time. Okay. Well, they weren't, you know, this game was, uh, pretty close at one point. I believe it was 27, 21, And Troy scored three touchdowns in like six minutes of game time in the fourth quarter. And this game was not even close anymore. So uh, this is one of my big hopes for this year is I hope Georgia Southern realizes that football is still going to be played after the App State game. There are still games left to be played. Right. Yeah, that that kind of seems to be the the way y'all have handled the season. Halloween is like the the bowl game, if you will. but then, you know, after that Troy game, you guys got a win against UL Monroe. Uh, I mean, that's not very hard to do, but still a win is a win. Um, and then you traveled to Jonesboro to play Arkansas State. And, you know, that was another close one down to the wire against a good Arkansas State team. Brian, what what, what happened that night? 480 yards of offense. Um, and you guys just couldn't figure out a, a way to get it done. Well, I, I think it, I think the thing is, and the thing that separates this game from the contest where we played Troy was when we got down in the game against Arkansas State, it was obviously bad. We were down 35 to 10 with six minutes to go in the second quarter. So obviously things weren't going well. Shy Wirtz did not let this team quit, which is the one thing that I think I can say about him is he never he never had looks defeated. You know what I mean? So it's it's always one of those things where you you feel like you have a chance anytime he's on the field. However, you know, getting in a 25-point hole, you know, the the only other 25-point comeback I can think of is when the Patriots played the the Falcons in the Super Bowl. I mean, they it still makes me happy to this day. They made a run at it and Shywertz was playing out of his mind and really just doing it all for this team and essentially they just ran out of time. Like they scored a touchdown uh, to cut it 38, 33 with four minutes to go. And they just didn't get the ball back was essentially what happened. So again, I, you have to commend that he's not willing to let the team quit, but on the other side of things, it kind of goes back to the Troy issue of, do they remember that there's football to still to be played? Like every time they get a win, it, it feels like they, they're like, all right, we won the end of end of the season guys and it's like no you still have four games left what are you doing right yeah and you know um talking about that you guys ended the season with a 38 to 10 win over your rival Georgia State Panthers before going into the Cure Bowl in Orlando to play Liberty which was another you know close battle you guys ended up falling in that one 23 to 16 to the Flames you know Talking about Liberty, you guys played them in the Cure Bowl. We played them during the regular season. In your opinion, how good was Liberty last season? You know, I I did think they were good. They were a bit underrated, I felt, as a team. Um, You know, going into that game, I kind of knew what they were going to do 
uh, because I had, you know, poured over some box scores and looked through their, their previous couple games. But I, what I was most impressed about was, you know, their defense really held Georgia Southern in check. And I don't know if it, it's always tough because you never know if it's one of those situations where, you know, Liberty really came to play uh, and, and Georgia Southern just didn't show up or whatever. But, uh, you know, Georgia Southern had trouble containing them through the air for sure. Uh, Antonio Gandy Golden led them, who is now on the Washington football team TM uh, with five catches for 63 yards. So it, they have a lot of really good wideouts. And if you give them enough chances to score, they're just going to make you pay. And that's pretty much what happened. Yeah. You know, similar to, similar to when we played them, you know, Gandy Golden was, was just the guy that they love to go to. I think he had 11 catches for 120 yards against us. Um, so he, he was he was a dominant force pretty much against any team that, that they played last year. So Georgia Southern wraps up the 19th season with a record of 7-6. and six. But you guys go into 2020 with, you know, a, a large amount of returning pieces. Um, obviously, at the top, head coach Chad Lunsford comes into his third full season as head coach with a 17-9 and record. You know, Obviously, the the head coach is one of the most important people on the on the roster, if you will, if not the most important. How important is Lunsford to your success at Georgia Southern? I mean, I I think he is very important from things like uh, a morale standpoint and uh, making sure that guys are held accountable. Uh, which was kind of an issue under Tyson Summers before Lunsford stepped in as the interim. Um, you know, I I think what happened last year was, and and I'm 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 gonna raise my hand and say I kind of fell into this trap. I think Lunsford was a victim last season of very lofty expectations because he comes into 2018, uh, the year before last, obviously you know, wins 10 games, beats, uh, what was it, Eastern Michigan in a bowl game, you know, outside of contending for a Sunbelt title, there's not a whole lot more other than that that you could ask for from a 2018 season. Then you roll into 2019, some of the, like I said, warts kind of start to show. You kind of see start, start seeing uh, kind of holes in the armor, so to speak. And the issues that seemingly had been kind of smoothed over in 2018 really became another issue again in 2019. So I think it was partially expectations that got him, but on the, on the other hand, you know, there were winnable games on this schedule where, you know, like I said about Troy and Arkansas state, it it was almost like they forgot that they were signed up to play a football game that day. Yeah. You know, and that, you know, I, I, I hate to say this, for you, but that kind of seems to be the story of Georgia Southern's season last year. Um, but you yep. know, look, looking at the starting lineup or projected starting lineup, should I say, for the Eagles going into 2020, obviously Shy Wirtz is going to be under center. He is a crucial, crucial piece of your your offense strictly because of his ability to not only hang on to the football, but the way he 
methodically moves the ball up and down the field. Uh, but, you know, one guy that really stands out to me on y'all's roster is J.D. King, the transfer from mm-hmm. Oklahoma State. You know, ran for 800 yards last year, eight touchdowns on 185 carries. How important is it for him, you know, having gotten his feet wet in the Sun Belt last year after two years at Oklahoma State, how important is it for him to return this year and really put his stamp on this offense? Yeah, I mean, if if you think of Georgia Southern as a triple option team, even though their their scheme is largely run out of the shotgun, I mean, he's the A-back, the, the, the power guy that makes the offense go. So, you know, since Wesley Fields, who a lot of Georgia Southern fans know of, since he graduated, we had kind of missed that presence. And, you know, King kind of provided that for this team last year because he led the team in rushing or or was second on the team in rushing, rather, right behind Wesley Kennedy the third. But, you know, scored eight touchdowns uh, and he's not his role is not to be what Wesley Kennedy is where Wesley Kennedy is a big play threat who gets those you know reverses and runs speed option and all that kind of stuff a lot of JD King's runs are like traps uh, or or you know just power football kind of inside zone stuff so I mean he is extremely important when you watch the team on film, but when you look at it from a stats perspective, his value doesn't always immediately jump out, but he is as important as any other cog in the offense. Yeah, you know, you, you talked about J.D. King and, and obviously your leading rusher, Wesley Kennedy. Uh, talk about Shai Wirtz's ability to, to escape the pocket and use his feet. I mean, a net gain of 733 yards on the ground last year for a quarterback is is insanely impressive. Yeah, so I mean part of that of of course is that the offense is predicated on the ability of both the quarterback, the running back, even receivers at times to be able to carry the ball and make guys miss. Um and and you know we have a handful of rushers who are able to do that. However, Shywertz's ability to extend plays both in the passing game and the running game and his ability to kind of make the right read when we run things like read option or speed option even, uh, it, it's key. I mean, he's I, I've been I've been following Georgia Southern extremely closely for 10 years now since 2010. He is the second best quarterback they've had in that span, which I mean, doesn't sound like a lot, but. When you when you go back and look, I mean, he's done a lot for this team that, again, because of the weird style of offense and because the statistics don't match up to what you would typically look for from a regular offense, his his uh, value, again, is is kind of skewed by the style that they run. However, he's as important. He, I, I would I would go as far to say he's the most important cog on this entire offense for sure. You know. I and I agree with you on that. Shy words being the most important piece in you guys' offense. Uh, one thing I want to touch on, obviously, with a with a run heavy offense like you guys, receivers, you know, aren't as important because I mean quarterbacks. I mean, shy threw the ball 127 times last year. Yeah. So I mean, throwing throwing the ball really isn't something you guys do a whole lot. But one guy I kind of want to talk about is. Um, is Darian Anderson, you know, four, 
only had four catches last year, but it was for 116 yards. He averaged 29, 29 yards a catch. You know, that's that's big playability with with two touchdowns. You know, how, how important is that when, you know, a team has your number on the run game? Yeah, so I, I definitely think the, the combination of Mark Michaud and Darian Anderson were, were equally important last year, especially, you know, when you go back to the games that Georgia Southern was down early and really needed to kind of mount some comebacks. But Darian Anderson coming in was the first, I believe it was by 24-7 Sports, or maybe it was ESPN. He was the first four-star recruit that Georgia Southern had ever locked down. And when he signed, it was when Georgia Southern was kind of in, a, in an identity crisis because that was when Tyson Summers was trying to run whatever offense it was that he was trying to run. We still don't know to this day what he was trying to do. But uh, Anderson signed, and you know we definitely expect big things from him uh, on the offensive side of the ball considering he is... I mean, at this point, like I said, with Mashad uh, graduating last year, he is the main receiving threat, you know, going into his senior season. Yeah, obviously, you know, Darian Anderson and um, Malik Murray, as well as Caleb Hood, are going to be some options for Shy Wirtz through the air. Transitioning to the offensive line, is there is there a particular position that worries you or maybe a player that stands out to you? I'm going to be totally honest with you. The entire the entire offensive line kind of worries me. And when you look at the way that they played last year, it seemed like there was a lot of miscommunication. And a lot of times guys were just not where they needed to be, you know, and, and uh, that created a lot of tackles for a loss as far as our offense goes. And I believe if our offensive line can string it together and, and a big problem they had last year was staying healthy. I do believe that we can be, again, another premier running offense in the FBS. Can I just drop, I I do just want to transition just a tad here. A lot of our issues on offense last year, or the past two years rather, have really stemmed, in my opinion, from our offensive coordinator, Bob DeBess. I want to drop a shocking stat on you. So I'm going to ask you kind of a question and just tell me what you would think. Uh, as far as numbers go. So Bob DeBess has been the offensive coordinator for 26 games now between 2018 and 2019. To open those 26 games, how many touchdowns on opening drives would you estimate Georgia Southern has scored in those 26 games? You know, I would say probably 10, but with your tone of voice, I'm thinking it's much, much lower than that. It's zero. They've never scored an opening drive touchdown under Bob DeBess in 26 games. So why do you think that is? I think he is extremely conservative, uh, almost to a fault, uh, especially when you play a team like a Troy or an Arkansas State or even you guys who can spread the ball around and score kind of at will. Um, I don't know whether it was the offensive line uh, being dealing with injuries last season or what, but I even watched a press conference at one point where he admitted that he uses the first drive of every game to feel out the opponent's defense. Oh, Jesus. But, yeah, exactly. So the problem with that, and if, if you think about it for even a split second, is, okay, that's fine if you do that, but if you play a team like a Troy and they score in the opening drive, 
to open the game, and you use your opening drive to fuel them out, and Troy comes down and scores a second time, you're down in a 14 nothing hole as a running football team. Right. And that's there's no there's hardly any coming back from that. No, no you, you see, I, I'm not a coach. I don't have coaching experience. So, you know, a lot of people will probably say, I don't know what I'm talking about. But wouldn't you use film to feel out their defense? I mean, his the way that he like, phrased it, the way that he phrased it was he doesn't know how an, how a defense is going to react to their unique offense. So he uses the first drive of every game to do that. No, um, shove the ball down their throat. It and that, but that's the problem. Is there, our opening drives the past two years have been run up the middle, run up the middle, run outside, punt. Um, so I, I want to expound. I want to expound on the stat I just gave you, though. Okay, so in twenty six games, twenty six, they have gone three and out on their opening drive of the game fifteen times. That's fifty eight percent of the games that they've played. They've gone three and out three on the opening drive. Wow. On on uh, those twenty six opening drives, they've kicked five field goals. So they have zero touchdowns and five field goals on the opening drives of twenty six different games. Well, you know, I'm I'm a positivity guy. You find the positive in everything. At least they weren't all twenty six scoreless. Okay, so so to I mean, to go to go even further, Georgia Southern goes three and out on thirty three percent of their drives total over the past two seasons. Oh so a third God. of a third of their drives end in uh run or, or run 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 punt, which the run 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 is not what I have an issue with. It's the style of of play call with right, the run that right. I have the big issue with. But I mean, this is how you take an offense that should be more explosive than it is, and you essentially neuter them and make them run such a vanilla offense for what's supposed to be a spread triple option attack which i mean clearly under willie fritz he made it work so i'm i'm just sort of baffled and when you ask the question yeah and and when you ask the question about chad lunsford i almost have to defer and say i don't know about him and his ability to do x's and o's however i'm starting to question his ability to evaluate his staff objectively when you have I, i mean all feelings aside, you have stats like these are hard numbers to go off of. So I, at what point do you do you evaluate and say this is just not cutting cutting the mustard? Right. Yeah, um, that, that's not good. It's not. Uh, and, and I literally had to, to go back and request that someone tracked this because I noticed last season a lot of our three and outs were embarrassingly fast to open games. So I had. Uh, I had I had this guy who tracks Georgia Southern advanced stats go in and give me that number and it was it was mind boggling to me. Yeah, that's that's insanity. Looking at the specialists now, uh, obviously losing Tyler Bass is a huge blow for you guys. You are now, according to Phil Steele, the projected starting lineup is you're going to go with Alex Rayner, a redshirt freshman. Yeah, and then on the punting side of things, Anthony Beck, um, you know he he played last year, punted the ball sixty eight times, eighteen of them landed inside of the twenty, a net yardage of thirty five point eight yards per punt. So you know that's not bad numbers, especially for a guy who was playing as a freshman. Uh, Brian, what do you kind of expect from your specialist group this year? 
Uh, I like our long snapper, Ryan Langan, a lot. Uh, I think that he does a great job and has done a great job uh, for a while now. Um, like you said, you, anytime you're breaking in a freshman kicker, you just have no idea what to expect, especially with Georgia Southern and many other teams having canceled their spring game this year. Uh, all you can really go off of is what's been happening in practice, and it's especially for uh, a Sunbelt team, they don't televise those, so I, I don't know what to expect. However, I have a lot of faith in Anthony Beck, our punter. I thought he did a great job last year, and I do think going back to talking about him, you know, I, I feel like we almost have to carve out some time uh, before we move on to the defense just to talk about Wesley Kennedy and what he brings to both, you know, returning punts and kicks, uh, catching the ball and running the ball out of the backfield. I mean, he's he's the Swiss Army knife that this team has to have in order to to run. So, yeah, um, you know, there there's obviously, you know, a lot of a lot of potential there. Now, like you said, let's transition to the defense. Uh, you know, one guy that, that kind of sticks out to me was Raymond Johnson last year, defensive end, uh, 79 tackles and 33 tackles, seven tackles for a loss. My apologies. You know, yeah. out, outside of outside of him and uh, C.J. Wright, is there anybody else on your defensive line in your 3-4 that, you know, kind of kind of sticks out to you? No, I mean, those two guys are really the the ones that really set the tone, like you said, in a 3-4. Um, as far as, uh, you know, that goes, Raymond Johnson really is the, the guy that really sets the tone defensively for this entire uh, squad. Um, you know, Georgia Southern, I believe its strongest unit on defense lies in its linebacking core. However, you know, C.J. Wright does a great job uh, stuffing the run and, and even getting some pass rush every once in a while. And uh, Raymond Johnson, too. So, uh, you know, my questions about this team, especially defensively, are more on the back end. But I believe their front seven are, are pretty talented overall, to be honest with you. Yeah, uh, you know, Rashard Bird was was first team all Sunbelt in 2018. Uh, Reynard Ellis is another, you know, big name guy for you guys. Uh, you know, your, your question was, like you said, was in the, it was in the secondary. Is it because these guys seem to have little to no experience or is it, is it the size issue? What's the, what, what's the big worry for you in the secondary? Well, it's a combination of factors. Uh, obviously when you lose two guys like, uh, Kendall Vildor and uh, and Monquavian Brinson to graduation in the draft, it's going to set your defense back. And it's really hard to bring someone in, uh, like a cornerback in, who's going to replace those guys and not expect them to miss a beat. So, I, I mean, the one positive I can think of is that Kendrick Duncan is still back there playing safety for us. Uh, however, it, it, it is a little hard to get excited about this secondary and i say that because there were a lot of and i and i don't know whether this was a scheme issue or or guys just didn't know where to be i found last season there were a lot of opposing receivers who would play in the slot that would just go straight up the seam unimpeded 
and it led to a lot of big plays. And one of them happened in the final game of the season against Liberty. I mean, they had, I believe it was a tight end just streaking up the seam and no one got within 10 yards of him. And before you knew it, I mean, he scored. So it's like one of those things where it's like, if you guys want to take the next step as a defense, you really have to like shore those things up. And I I just have serious reservations about a new set of corners coming in and, and not expecting them to take a step back. Yeah, no question. You know, things, things like that are little things to, to fix up for sure. Brian, before we wrap up, we kind of want to briefly discuss you guys' schedule. Um, Obviously, the opener against Boise State is kind of still up in the air. So breaking news here, it was actually just canceled. Like it was just announced like when we started recording. So I did want to cut in and kind of give everybody a a, a timeline of when when we're recording on Wednesday. Uh, It was just announced as being canceled. Okay, so Boise State's off the list. Um, obviously, you know, that game can obviously be replaced with the Sun Belt announcing a full 12-game schedule can be played. Um, you know, the the big games on your schedule is obviously Florida Atlantic coming to Statesboro, if that's still, you know, possible. Yeah. You guys come to Lafayette to play against Louisiana the week after that. App State, obviously, on a Wednesday night. Um, and you know, after that, it's, it's all pretty much conference from there, but what game on the schedule, you know, really sticks out to you? I I mean, to be totally honest, I think it's, uh, the game against you guys, because, you know, like I said, I I really used, I really used that as a, as a measuring stick for how we were going to be last year. And when, you know, you guys, I understand Two be- one of the two best teams in the conference won the, won the West, did all that. I felt like the fact that we couldn't stay within one score of you guys didn't bode well for our season as a whole, and I kind of think that that's going to happen again. Uh, but however, you know, given the history over the past couple of years, I'm also just as worried about us playing at Coastal Carolina after the App State game because – you know, going back to it, the last two years, they've just folded like a tent against the teams they played after App State. Yeah, you know, and, and you know, that I think that's a common thing for the, for the Sun Belt Conference. You know, App State's just, you know, that buzzsaw, like you like to say, that that team that nobody can ever really shake. Um, you know, Coastal, I think Coastal will rebound this year and have a better year than they did last year. I think the same for South Alabama. Um so you know, there's there's clearly some some tough conference games down the stretch for you guys. Uh, I'm gonna put you on the spot real quick before we go though. If okay. you had if you had to predict a record for your Georgia Southern Eagles, what would it be? Well, see, that's tough now because I don't know. As of right now, when I'm looking at it, it's a ten game slate. Um, so I think the losses on this schedule are uh, Louisiana, App State. And probably Troy. Uh, so I think I would say seven and three as of today, provided that we don't replace the Boise game or the Ole Miss game that were both canceled. Yeah. Okay. So seven and three, if you play a 10 game season. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's definitely, I mean, that's, that's a bowl game season. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, that's clearly nothing to be ashamed of at, at by any stretch of the imagination. Cause like I said, you guys and, uh, 
uh, app are both really good football teams and Troy just always gives us fits. Like it doesn't matter how good that they usually are. I mean, it's ever since then, I, I think it was pretty much the first time we played them in 2014. We've struggled with playing them almost every single year um, because Neil Brown, I mean, that team used to give us the blues every time we had to play his team. So I I think my one big expectation for Georgia Southern, though, this year, looking at the schedule as it currently stands, it's not even an expectation. I guess it's like a wish or a hope at this point. Just remain relevant in conference play. Like, don't – and that goes, again, back to the, the after the App State game. Like, don't play yourself out of a bid for a conference title because you forgot that football was supposed, was still to be played after App State. Yeah, obviously, you know, you you want to play as many games on the on the docket, you know, to the best of your ability. Um, yeah, so a tough, you know, obviously tough for everybody with the COVID nineteen pandemic in terms of you know just how many games people are going to get to play. Yeah, because um, you yeah. know you guys you guys are looking at a ten game slate. We just found out that. Our our game with Wyoming was canceled, so we're looking at a ten game slate. Mm-hmm. Uh, could be twelve, could be even less. So you know, definitely still a whole lot of question marks. Brian, as as we wrap up, tell tell everybody at home where uh, where they can find you on social media. Yeah, you can find me at Watch the Stone on Twitter. Uh, I will be you know. It's tough because these games are constantly up in the air, but I guess I'm going to have my George Southern season written preview out uh, probably pretty soon. Uh, once they once they finalize and nail down a schedule, I do want to go ahead and get that out for everybody. Uh, I, I can definitely go into much more detail on what we spoke about on today's podcast, but uh, I'm excited. I, I just hope that we get a full season of football, whether that's 10 or 12 games. Yeah, no question. You know, the, the more, like you said, the more games, the better. Um, everybody's obviously rooting for a 12 game season, but we'll take what we can get in, in the times that we're in right now. You can find me on Twitter at Miguez Matt. Um, and next week we will be back and we will do a preview of the Arkansas State Red Wolves. This has been another edition of the Underdog Dynasty Sunbelt Podcast.